0: you guys know uh, we've been starting to walk through the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is one of those books it's all about this the formation of, of who we are of our hearts and Matthew begins with a genealogy and in the opening chapter of the book of Matthew in the New Testament we come across a list of names. They are known as the genealogy of Jesus. Most of us if you're like me we tend to just read through this list of names we might recognize a few but for the most part just kind of see them as names as a family tree of jesus nothing special to it but matthew uses these names these cluster of names to remind us not just his audience at the time about some forgotten truths about god's love In the first section, in the first list of 14 names, we encounter this forgotten truth about God's merciful love. A love that is all-forgiving, all-eternal, that's both deep and wide. In the second section of names, we come across of God's holy love. A love that can seem tough and unjust, but it's the complete opposite. A love that is holy, Because it's purifying. A love that helps us both nurture and transform us from the inside out. A love that through the suffering allows us to deepen our intimacy with him through prayer. And lastly, what we'll cover today in the third section, in the third um, 14 uh, names in the genealogy, we come to experience God's faithful love, his faithfulness. A faithfulness that comes to its full glory in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living proof of God's faithful love. And this is the arc that kind of sets the foundation for the gospel of Matthew. That God's love is merciful, it is holy, and it's faithful. So if you have your Bibles with me, you could turn uh, to Matthew um, chapter 1. Verses 12 through uh, 16. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered, help me out people. English is my second language and thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Abud father, fathered Elakim. Elakim fathered Azur. Azur fathered. Thank you. Zadok fathered Akim. Akim fathered Eliud. Eliud fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Nathan. Nathan fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus and is called the Messiah. Matthew is leading us to see that Jesus is not the end, but the beginning of God's redeeming work in this world. He begins with the genealogy to remind us that even though we cannot see it, God is always at work, and even though we might not always understand it, why things happen or why things are the way they are, he is always consistent in who he is. In the history of Israel, there have always struggled against different empires, destroying them, oppressing them, enslaving them, breaking them. And if in the reign of King David was the height of the Israelites, then their exile into Babylon was rock bottom. As a people, they were devastated. They were hurt. They were lost. They even felt forgotten. And to add insult to injury, God was silent. Silence is an interesting human experience. Because while, we can be, while on one side it can be restful, peaceful, and comforting, and others it can be the complete opposite. Silence can make us feel restless and make us extremely uncomfortable. Have you ever noticed that when we are going through probably the most challenging situations in our lives, that is when God seems to be the most silent? Here's what happened with the Israelite people in the midst of their oppression and in their waiting and in God's silence. Again, we can't minimize what they were going through. Their oppression was real. Their struggles were real. The racial abuse was real, and it created a lot of physical, emotional, and spiritual hurts. Their hearts cried out for God, but he remained silent. And in the silence of God, in the waiting, they began to dream and think about how to solve and fix their problems. Their thinking led them to focus on their exterior circumstances, which led them to dream about a Savior that would meet and solve their problems. The promised Messiah was going to be a warrior, a king who would march down the streets with his army and disarm and conquer whatever empire was causing their grief. In their minds, the promised Messiah was not the Savior of the world. He was going to be the Savior that was going to restore Israel back to its former glory. Their glory days shaped the way that they viewed the promised Savior. This was their hope and this was their Messiah. This is one of the reasons why Jesus went unrecognized when he was walking among them. And I think this can also explain why they had a hard time accepting and believing that Jesus was the promised Messiah, because he was the opposite of what they were expecting. Jesus was born in a stable, not in a palace. He was poor. He wasn't wealthy. His followers consisted of fishermen, tax collector, prostitutes, the poor, and not the wealthy, not people of influence. Jesus' authority, and I think this is the most important one, is Jesus' authority came from love, not from force and violence. In their eyes, Jesus' ways were upside down. And his ways didn't make sense to their world because of the expectations that they had created for themselves of what the Messiah would look like. Could it be that the Israelites in the middle of their um, could it be like the Israelites for us that in the middle of our trying circumstances, in the waiting, when God seems distant and silent we create an expectation of the way that Jesus should come through to make our situations better. This is our dilemma of the of the sinfulness that exists in our hearts. That in the waiting, in God's silence, we grow restless. And in that restlessness and discomfort, we jump to try and fix, or even to tell Jesus how he should fix our situations. Blaise Pascal said this. He said, God created us in his image and we return the favor. Blaise Pascal is a 16th century mathematician, philosopher, um, Christian writer who wrote these infamous words describing this condition that lies in every single one of our hearts. Whether we're aware of it or not, we tend to create a view and an expectation of who God and Jesus should be in our lives. Here in the silence is where God's deepest works actually take place because we're expecting God to change our circumstances our exterior circumstances we miss that his spirit is at work deep within our hearts his faithfulness moves from the exterior into the interior but if we're always looking for his work in our circumstances exteriorly we will miss his true work that needs to take place in our hearts If you have your Bibles, want to follow along, I'm going to turn into Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house. There I will reveal my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand. So he made it into another jar, and it seemed right for him to do. The word of the Lord came to me, House of Israel, I cannot treat you as this potter treats his clay. And this is the Lord's declaration. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, House of Israel. This story takes place about 600 years before Jesus Christ was born. And that happens right after the Israelites have hit rock bottom. They're defeated, a conquered nation who have lost everything. In this story, Israel is the clay in the hands of God, and God is the potter. Israel has not turned out the way that they had expected. Israel tried to take control into their hands and their fate into their own hands because God was not meeting their expectations and the way that they thought God should be. This led them down the path to live and justify their decisions based on the God that they had created for themselves. God saw this and realized that Israel needed to be refashioned back into its original design. But notice this verse. It's verse number four. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand. So he made it into another jar, and it seemed right for him to do. If we are the clay in the Father's hand, it's, I thought it was so beautiful how like even in his hand, it lost its original shape. It's almost like the clay and all of its spinning went off into a different direction, kind of all of it on its own. And that's our tendency, if we're really honest with ourselves. Even in, even with God being everything around us, we still tend to kind of go because we want to take control of our situations. And that's what we wrestle with. Because everything around us is telling us to go and, and take control of our lives. We slowly and surely begin to believe that we figured God out, so we start kind of bending the way that we want to. We rebel, because somewhere down the line, we believe that God's love is based on our circumstances, that his favor is based on our circumstances. (laughs) We focus on asking God to fix our situations and we grow weary and impatient when he doesn't. And that's when we begin, even in the potter's hands, we begin to bend. But as a loving father in his faithful love, God does something that's very, very foreign to us. He shows us something that's extremely foreign in today's culture. He shows us how patient he is. He waits for us to come to the end of our will, to the end of our strength, to allow him to be God. And that's when he begins to reshape us In the process, we relearn relearn that his love love begins to shed light into the new reality of who he is. There's a word for that. It's called surrender. And it's not something that we learn just once. It's a continuous thing. I love this poem by Meister um, Eckhart. He says, when I learn to let go of who I think I am and relinquish all I think I need to be, you, he's talking about God, cannot resist entering my heart, and you do. For when I let go of thinking what my life is, that my life is mine, you finally have room to make it yours and cannot help but to come in to fill what is empty. For you want only my nothingness, and to that you give your allness, and so I shall know that your heart is mine and mine is yours. The potter is reforming and reshaping the clay for it to be what it has designed it to be. We are the clay and God is the potter. In the waiting, in the silence, he is shaping us to be who we are designed to be. He is shaping us and making us, but he isn't telling his clay what he's doing. Because he's simply focused, working away lovingly, patiently, Molding us. And what happens is Jesus moves on from being and feeling like he's upside down to becoming the right side up of viewing things. When we finally let go. Our reorientation comes from focusing on Jesus and allowing his spirit to do what it does best. Jesus' ways ways slowly begin to make sense, and we become the people that we're created to be. This is what Matthew is trying to show us in the genealogy, that God's ways will rarely look like anything we think or expect. But his mercy, his holiness, and his faithfulness, the character of God is the only constant thing in this life. James Baldwin said this, God never seems to come when you want him. But when he gets there, he's always right on time. And this is what's taking place at the root of our hearts. We are seeing God in a new way. His faithful love has always been there. But he is setting things to its rightful place. God is there in the waiting. God is always there. God is working even if we can't see it. Even even God feeling silent or distant is an experience of God. Let that sink in. Even when God feels distant and silent, that is still an experience of God. This is what following Jesus is all about. It's a life of downward mobility. It's a life of going down into our hearts, into the core of who we are, a journey into the depths of our souls. This is what all the saints alluded to, every single one of them. They talk about a depth and intimacy with God through Jesus that's indescribable. But at its core, it feeds our deepest desire. Henry Nauen, a spiritual writer, said this Living a spiritual life is living in an intimate communion with the Lord. It is seeing, hearing, and touching. It is seeing, hearing, and touching. Living a life that is a witness of Him in the midst of our world. What we do, how we serve, how we love people, that's, a, that's the overflow of our deep and intimate relationship with the Father. It will just naturally lead us to love people better when we truly allow the Spirit of God to do its work and transform us, when our focus is truly on Jesus in closing let's look at matthew's closing words in this chapter and the genealogy it says so all the generations from abraham to david were 14 generations and from david until the exile to babylon 14 generations and from the exile uh, to babylon until the messiah 14 generations matthew sets this genealogy as the foundation not just because of the people that are in the lineage But because of the way that God showed up, shaping the entrance of Jesus the Savior into this world. God's love as a father is the main thread that started all the way back from the beginning of time until today, and it continues to pave the way of the future. A father's love who is merciful, a love that is both healing and and forgiving. A love that is both deep and whose reach is wide. A love that is not reserved for a few, but its desire is to touch this entire world. A Father's love that is holy. A love that is transformative. It redeems and in its its redemption, it cleanses, it purifies, and it makes things new. A gentle love. That is all-consuming, understanding, patient, but above all, transformative. And lastly, a father's love that is faithful. God's love is always pursuing us and working even when we can't see it. His plans and purposes may not always make sense, but as a loving father, he's always saving his best for you. But remember, his best will not always look like we want it to exteriorly. His best is always in the depths of our hearts. His faithfulness is unlike anything we can comprehend, but it is definitely something that we can live out and experience. In all of this, Matthew wants us to remember who God is and invites us to follow his son Jesus to learn how to draw closer to him to trust in Jesus to grow and develop above anything depth and intimacy with him that is the good news that Jesus came to proclaim that the kingdom of the heavens is available here and now that we can have a deep and intimate relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ here. Heaven on earth. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just want to pray a blessing over our church family here today. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit, God? Would you meet us where we're at and just guide us as we continue to... uh, Allow your spirit to do its its work in us. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross for us. We love you and we praise you. Amen.